<laughs> we're glad, glad we got something. Let's see. Um, I think we're probably good. I think so. Well, can you get your Bible? All right, sorry for that. Um, yeah, I'll take that. Good, thank you. Um, hope everybody's doing well this morning. Sorry for the technical glitches, growing pains, I guess we could call them. But uh, it's good that we have options to uh, include those who aren't able to be here. For those tuning in, we're glad you're with us. And I wish you're here with us, but we're glad you're tuning in. Um, hope everyone's had a good week. And of course, we only had two songs today. We are going to try to finish up a little early. I'm here for our service to try to give more time to get down to our outreach uptown. Um, quick show of hands, um, how many are planning to go uptown with us? All right. Um, so I, I didn't mean to do this, but I, maybe I inadvertently volunteered all the rest of you because <laughs> not necessarily, but we're going to get done a little early and those who are going to go uptown, we're going to try to get there as soon as possible and get set up. So if maybe those who aren't, since we're going to let you out early, if you could maybe help kind of with the breakdown, maybe we'll send those who are going, hey, let them get out pretty quickly, and the rest of you maybe help with a small task of breaking down and, and packing up. But we'll sort that out at the end. If you're able to do that, it would be a big help, kind of tag team in that way and um, be able to maximize our efforts today. We are going to be looking, um, continuing our study in Luke. So if you have your Bible or an app, we'll go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 7. We're going to be starting in verse 36 and go through the end of the chapter. It's been a long chapter, 50 verses, um, but we're going to finish it up here today. Um, but uh, I remember there was a TV show a while back. I don't know if it's still on. I don't think it is. I don't watch much TV these days. But there was a TV show called The Biggest Loser. Anybody remember The Biggest Loser? All right. Now, I remember as a, as a child, when someone was a big loser, it was a, it was a bad thing. But this was a TV show in which you wanted to be the biggest loser because it was a competition to see who could what? Who could lose the most weight. Absolutely right. And uh, so um, they kind of the flipping, the, flipping the script on, you know, what was you know, perceived as a bad thing initially, obviously, was, you know, going to be made to a good thing. Um, so I've titled our sermon today, The uh, Biggest Sinner. Who's the Biggest Sinner? It was always the question they would ask in the TV show, who is the biggest loser? And you hoped they called your name at that point, unlike in high school or junior high. You know, so you always hoped that they would say, yeah, it was me. Um, but uh, today uh, we're going to look into the scriptures, going to ask us a question, who's the biggest sinner? Um, so we're going to start off jumping right in. Um, it's going to be a little bit shorter sermon as well. Again, we're trying to get done a little early. So I'll go ahead and invite you to go ahead, go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word. and invite you to read along with me. The words should be on the screen here. And uh, we'll read from 36 through the end. The Bible tells us, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. 
Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, as we come to your word this morning, um, we ask your help in understanding. Um, we ask the Holy Spirit's conviction in applying this to our lives, Lord. And uh, through our time spent, we may be more conformed to the image of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Um, we see here a, uh, a passage which I honestly, as a child growing up in church and coming across this and reading occasionally, I, I really misunderstood badly. Um, so if you're like I was for many years, hopefully we can sort out some possible confusion here. And um, certainly I think uh, this, is, this is a great text. I'm really glad we are diving in on it today. Um, but uh, contextually, you see, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to come in. Now, prior to this, Jesus has been going around. There have been crowds of people, crowds of people everywhere he went. And he's walking around, and he's out on the plane preaching a sermon, and he's here and there. And so now one of the Pharisees invites him to come and eat. And apparently, as I've understood in reading the contextualization of this, this was something that was often done if there was a popular person or a rabbi in the area. Then one of the religious leaders may essentially have an open house in which they invite him to come. And he's the headliner, essentially. And uh, he comes and speaks. And then it's sort of an open house where the community is able to sort of come in and hear what the teacher's saying. Um, so it's not like an intimate gathering. It's more of a party, essentially. Um, and so that's sort of the, the setting, as it, as it were. So Jesus is um, in the house and at the table. And, of course, these are not tables like we're sitting at today. These are, um, you know, Jewish tables of this era, which are very low to the ground. And you would typically be sitting or even reclining on cushions um, around the table. So the table may only be, a, you know, a, less than a foot high. And so you're sitting there, and so you typically would recline, you know, on your elbow, and you'd be eating, and then your feet would kind of be back and making room for the next person here. So your feet would be kind of, you know, behind you. And then typically the, uh, the, uh, the guests, um, the featured guests in this situation, um, the owner of the home, that kind of thing would be at the table. And then ancillary people or even the servants would be standing um, and so that's where we find this lady, this woman, um, when she heard that Jesus was there at the table in Pharisee's house, she came. And so she's like, oh, this is one of those events. Well, I'm going to go. And she came bringing this flask of ointment. And so now we see, begin to understand verse 38, when she's standing behind him at his feet. 
and she begins to cry. She's weeping and begins to wet his feet with her tears. Um, I never really understood visually how this was working as a child. I was like, what, is, he, is she got going under the table? <laughs> I envisioned something like this, and I never really understood how this even was uh, supposed to happen. But uh, hopefully everybody's getting to kind of get the visual for how this would happen. So as Jesus was reclining here, she'd be standing, and she just overcome with emotion. And uh, we, can, we can and will you know, talk about why that may have been. But she just overcomes. She's crying. Her tears are dripping down to his feet. And then, you know, and, you know, fit of emotion, I imagine she's just, you know, trying to, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm getting my, my tears all over your feet. Let me clean them. So she has no, no rag or towel. So she just pulls her hair and begins to do this. I think it's all not planned. I think it's all just happening in the moment. Um, obviously, she came planning to honor him with this alabaster flask of ointment. Um, pretty expensive by any estimation. Uh, everybody says these were, were pretty valuable. Some you know, put it as you know, mildly expensive and some as exorbitantly expensive. But uh, certainly that was intentional. But I think that the crying and the um, wiping of, her, of the feet with her hair, I think that was more of an extemporaneous just in the moment what happened. So... Um, the other thing I didn't understand as a child, I think this is obviously not the first time that Jesus has encountered this woman. Okay? Um, I think she has been converted sometime in the past um, because she does these things and then Jesus encourages her and says, hey, your sins are forgiven, your faith has saved you. There's no demonstration of faith here. What we see is a demonstration of love here. That's the emphasis of the passage. But I think as a, you know, you know, when I was a child, I thought that this was a kind of a conversion story, but it's not. Um, clearly, nothing she does here is worthy of salvation. Um, so I think it's obvious that she has been, um, she's heard Jesus' message, you know, as he's been going around. She has believed and has expressed faith and has been converted. So she's already a believer. And so now she is coming um, and wanting to, to, you know, honor him in this way with this uh, precious flask of ointment and uh, then is overcome with emotion. So it's not the first time they've met. Jesus, I think, knows her. She certainly knows of him. Um, she has uh, been converted previously. So now when verse 39, when the Pharisee who invited him saw this and he thinks to himself, man, Jesus is supposed to be some prophet. He doesn't even know, you know, what manner of woman this is because... When we see in verse 37, the woman of the city who was a sinner, um, most uh, commentators believe that this is a, a, a polite way of saying that she was a lady of the streets, uh, a prostitute that by profession. And so certainly her life was identified by her sin. And so he says, well, Jesus should know what sort of woman this is, you know, that she's a sinner. And you know what that means? Um, and so Jesus, of course, knowing the thoughts of his heart, you know, calls him out on it and speaks to him and gives this little parable. Um, now, the moneylender had two debtors, 500 denarii, 50, you know, it could be whatever amount. Some people say, well, the denarii was a day's wage. So one person owed uh, almost two years' wages, one person owed almost, whatever it was, it was 10 times the difference. You'd call it dollars, $50 and $500. Um, so the, the, what the denarii equals to doesn't really matter. The point is that one was forgiven ten times what the other one was forgiven, right? Um, neither one could, could uh, afford to pay. So I'm going to get some feedback from you. So he says the one um, who would love him more would be the one to cancel the larger debt. Why do you think it would be that it would be that way? If a larger debt was canceled, they would love more. What is it about the larger debt versus the smaller debt? Yeah, more forgiveness. Um, in, in what way? 
Yeah, more beyond your ability. If you owe somebody $50, you may not have $50, but you could probably get $50. It might take you a week or two or a month or two, but you could probably save up $50 and pay that back on your own. You know, but if you owe somebody you know, 10 times that amount or whatever, it might seem impossible. And uh, so yeah, just the, the, the um, difficulty of ever repaying that back. So the relief of, wow, this that I thought I was gonna have to deal with for the foreseeable future now has been lifted off my shoulders, certainly for that reason. Um, I think also the perceived offense. You know, if I owe you $5, oh, hey, you know, we're going here, I, I left my wallet, can you get lunch? Oh, sure, five bucks. Don't even worry about it. Oh, I wouldn't be, oh, thank you so much. Thank, you're just forgiving the five. Oh, my goodness, thank you so much. And I'd be like, ah, he's not going to miss the $5 anyway. Nothing to him, right? But if you're going to check for $500, I'd be like, wow, that's something he's really having to sacrifice to, um, to tell me not to, you know, not have to repay that. So I think those are some of the reasons why, some of the perceptions of why. And I think those are, are natural and normal. In fact, Jesus even says, you have judged rightly. Um, but I want to camp out of here for just a minute because it's interesting that uh, I can't get this phone to turn back on. Um, but uh, the uh, more interesting thing is um, the phrase that I, it's easy to, fl- to gloss over because verse 43 says, when they could not pay. So neither one of them could afford to pay it back. The one that owed 50 or the one that owed 500, neither one of them could afford it. Neither one of them had the ability to pay it back. So sure, one did have more paid off, one more forgiven, and the other one did. So certainly there is, for these reasons, this greater um, feeling of uh, endearment towards the person, appreciation, gratitude, that kind of thing. But really, the the fact is, neither one of them could do it. You know, I kind of think of uh, comparison... um, Larceny, all right? Someone in high school, what's larceny? Someone in high school, what is larceny or a recent graduate? Anybody know what larceny is? It's a crime, I'll tell you that. Nobody? Nobody knows what larceny is? It comes in two kinds. It comes in grand larceny or petite, petit larceny. Petty larceny, anybody know these? No? Theft, theft. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Larceny is theft. So we have grand larceny, and then we have petty larceny. What's the difference between grand larceny and petty larceny? How much the value is. You, most states have it set at $1,000. If it's more than 1000 it's grand larceny. If it's less than 1000 it's petty larceny. Petty larceny is a misdemeanor. Slap on the wrist. Don't do that again. You pay him back. Grand larceny, it's a felony. You're going to go to prison and pay him back. Probably some fines too. So even in our laws, we have these different um, ideas about you know debts and crimes and how bad they are and this sort of thing. And we see that in Scripture here, the greater context of Scripture, particularly, we see that's not really how God sees it. We're all under a sin debt, and some of us have sinned a lot, and some of us have sinned a little. But the Romans tells us that we've all sinned and fallen short of what? We've all fallen short of God's glory. Okay. Now I've used this analogy before, and I, I love it. And I think it's very helpful. So a lot of times we want to compare to each other. Well, Brian, you're a worse sinner than I was. You know, Alex, you're a worse sinner than I was. Problem is, we're not comparing ourselves to each other. 
We're comparing ourselves. We're not falling short to each other. We're falling short to the glory of God. Okay? So how far short do we fall over the glory of God? Okay? Let's say that we establish this scale and we say that however high we are off the ground, that's how holy we are. So, yeah, we'll do this. Alex, stand, come up here, stand up here. Bring those two chairs. All right, so let's say that we have this scale established in our minds that the higher we are, the more holy we are. So right now, Alex is taller than me. He's more holy than I. I'm at, Alex, you're not, you're not that great. There. Now I feel better about myself, you know. In fact, <laughs> yeah, in fact, you know what? I think I'm, I'm a lot more holy than Alex, in fact. Boom, here we go. Now I'm really feeling good about myself. Right? Why? Because I'm, I'm so much more holy than Alex. In fact, let's say that I could get up on the top of the roof of the building. And I was that much higher than Alex. Man, now, I mean, I must be doing okay, right? I'm, you know, multiple stories above Alex. In fact, you know, you see my pictures. We've been going out to, uh, we were out in uh, uh, Yosemite. And we hiked up to this half-dome mountain. And it was an amazing hike. 8,000 feet. Okay, 8,000 feet elevation. We're like 700 feet here in Charlotte. I leave Alex down in Charlotte, and I climb on top of Half Dome, and I'm 8,000 or 7,400 feet higher than Alex now. Wow. I must be doing really good, right? Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. You get, you get to come up on the Half Dome with me now, right? Thank you. I don't know, man. That ladder might fall over. I don't know. I hope you don't fall off the cliff. Um, what's the trouble with this analogy? That may be true. I may be more holy than these other people. The problem is, let's say that God's holiness is the sun. Okay, how far is the sun from here? Somebody in high school? Who's a science lover? Or junior high, elementary school? How far is the sun? No, no science lovers? They say, I love that. Yeah, 93 million miles away. Okay, so let's say that I'm on Half Dome and I'm 8,000 feet closer than any of y'all. I'm still 92,999,200 feet away. I'm still 93 million miles away. I'm no, I'm not anywhere significantly close to the glory of God. Thank you, Alex. All right, I, I'm not... I, I'm, the, the fact that I'm a, a few feet or a few thousand feet higher than other people is irrelevant. I'm falling so far short. Are you with me? Yeah. We're, we're, so let's stop worrying about, oh, who's a worse sinner? Because we can, we can talk about that. We're going to. But as far as for our own holiness, that's not the standard. God's, whole, God's holiness is the standard, and we all fall far, far short. None of us can pay. Both these two guys, one owed a lot, one owed a little. Neither one of them can pay, though. And that's where we find ourselves in our condition before a holy God. None of us can do good enough. None of us can earn our way to overcome the debt of sin. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Back to our text in verse 44, though. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, By the way, this is not Simon Peter. This is just some... Simon was a common name back then, so this is Simon the Pharisee. Uh, to my knowledge, we don't see him again. 
Um, but don't, don't be confused about that. This is not the disciple or the, uh, the disciple Simon. This is uh, just Simon the Pharisee. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. You gave me no kiss. You did not anoint my feet with my head with oil. So here again, we see more context for what this environment was. Simon was not really a, a, per, a close friend of Jesus inviting him in because these are the normal things you would do for a, a, a guest coming into your home. You know, you'd provide a basin and a towel, wa- you know, have a servant or something. They could wash their own feet or you wash their feet, have a servant wash their feet. You know, you would uh, come in and you know, greet them with a, a kiss, a holy kiss and a hug. And none of that. Very cool welcome for Jesus into Simon's home. I imagine Simon, oh, yeah, right this way. Here's where you're going to sit. Everybody say, Jesus is here. Jesus is here. Yeah, he's in my house. Yeah, yeah, just sit right there anywhere. That's good. You know, we don't see any warmth here. We don't see any love being expressed. Okay, it's a very cool reception to Jesus. Contrasted with this woman, while you gave me no water for my feet, she has wet my feet with her tears, wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head, and she has specifically come here to anoint my feet with this ointment. Now here's what we see, verse 47. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. Okay, so he's not forgiving her sins now. He's telling Simon, listen, I'm telling you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Why? Because she's loving. You know, where you're a, a cool reception, no love, no, no affection, no you know, demonstration of love in any way, she's demonstrating an outpouring of love. An emotion for me. Therefore, we know that her sins were much and they were forgiven because we, we see the love. So fitting that uh, if you're doing our scene to Jesus together, we just came through 1 John, which the whole theme of 1 John is if you love me, do what? Be holy. Keep my commandments. Walk in the light. That's a consistent theme throughout. You know, and so here we are. We we just read those chapters coming into this uh, this week this weekend, and so again here we see. Her sins, which were many, are forgiven, for she loved much. <clears throat> but he who is forgiven little, loves little. So it's confusing. I, I don't know. I don't think we have enough information to know for sure. We don't know if Simon was a believer. I think he might have been, because um, Jesus doesn't call him to repentance here. He's sort of comparing, you know, Simon's cool reception, you know, to her, and then comparing that, hey, this means that those who were forgiven little love little. Now, if he was a believer, is it true that he was forgiven little? If, if, if he comes to Christ in faith and his sins are forgiven, is it true that since he was such a holy Pharisee, he had very little sins to be forgiven? No. It was more than he could pay. We already established that. So I kind of understand this. What he's reading between the lines here is that it's he who perceives that he was forgiven little loves little. You with me? So if you have this perception that, you know, I mean, I was saved when I was young. I was four or five years old. I hadn't had opportunity to commit any dark, deep, heinous sins as the world would, would identify them. Okay? But I was still a rebel from God. I was still, you know, under a curse of sin. I was still owed a debt that I couldn't pay. Right? So I wasn't forgiven little. But my perception could have been, oh, I was just forgiven little. Because I was little. But that's not true. The, the reality is, again, as I already said, 
We all fall short of the glory of God. We all owe a debt we cannot pay. So, <clears throat> the question is, that I want to pose to you is, what's your attitude towards the Lord? Do you ever have times where you're overflowing with emotion and you're desiring to be in His presence, desiring to be with His people, desiring to, to spend time in prayer and in reading the Word and worshiping Him in songs and praises? Do you desire to be sharing the gospel with those around you? Or are you very cool towards the things of God? I think sometimes it's easy for our zeal to cool because we forget that we were forgiven so much. We have this idea, well, I was just forgiven a little. You know, I'm actually pretty good. I'm certainly not as bad as that person. I mean, I'm here up here on the top of the Holiday Inn compared to those guys. You know, I think there will be people, hopefully no one here, but there are people probably down at the uh, festival today who are going to have a high and mighty attitude in some ways. If it won't be today, there certainly has been Christians who have adopted that mentality. And I hope no one from here would go with that mentality because we've all been forgiven a lot. Okay? Um, anybody who's going to be, you know, you know, like this woman, she was identified by her sinful lifestyle. That was how she was known, was by her lifestyle. And uh, probably at some point she embraced that and just owned that and said, yeah, this is who I am. Take it or leave it. And so there's certainly, you know, call against giving place to that sin. There's call to repent and to resist those things. And we desire to see people live moral lives. But the fact is, they're not any less sinful than we are. They're not in any, any more need of a Savior than we are. We all need the same Savior. We all need the same salvation. And I hope we understand that and go with that attitude and, and see that. But <clears throat> I just want to challenge you. If you find yourself cool towards the things of Christ, then I just want to remind you how much you've been forgiven. It was a debt you could not pay. Yeah, you may not have been the worst sinner out there. You, hopefully you weren't Hitler. Sure. You know, I'm sure you could find people who had committed worse sins than you have, sure. But that's not the point. We don't compare ourselves to each other. The Bible says fools do that. Fools compare themselves to each other and say, I'm doing pretty good. Our standard is the Bible. Our standard is Jesus Christ. Our standard is the holiness of God himself. So if, if you find your heart sometimes cool towards the things of Jesus, then I just want to say reflect on what he has done for you. Reflect on how much... You've been forgiven because it is a lot. It is a lot. Um, okay. Um, <clears throat> so we come here, verse 48. He says to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then at the end of the chapter, verse 50, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So I think we get a little hint here, at least I, I take a little hint here, of why she was so overcome with emotion. And it's interesting to me as I've kind of, you know, preached a couple sermons out of this whole chapter. It's a long chapter, and I look at the different things. It's really just so many messages about faith in here and about support for, you know, difficult times. We started off seeing the centurion who had this marvelous faith, unlike any faith that he had seen. Um, he had a servant who was at the point of death, and he said, Jesus, you don't need to come. Just speak the word, and he'll be healed. I, I, I know, I believe that you have that power. You don't even need to come. He's like, wow, I've never seen such faith. And then we go from there, and we see the, the widow whose son was dead. 
and he, you know, she is, you know, obviously, you know, mourning that loss, and he tells her, "Don't weep." And even that, in that, you know, the greatest enemy of death for human people, death is the the ultimate, you know, end of us in a, in a sense, our physical life. He's, he comes into that and raises the dead. And then we see John the Baptist when he's in such a dark place, you know, and really doubting. He's like, are you really the one? And he has a word for him in those circumstances. So I think now we see this woman who is a believer, but she comes. And why does he encourage her, telling her that your sins are forgiven, your faith has saved you? I think this is a lady who maybe has slipped into sin again, this lady who has fallen again and comes and I imagine that she's overcome with emotion in her sense of failure and her sense of, you know, I followed him, I believed in him, and now I even want to worship him, but, you know, I'm, I'm not living up, I'm not walking worthy of the calling I've received. And so Jesus is not harsh with her, but he says to her, listen, your sins are forgiven. And tells her, not because of these actions that you've done. You know, if you were, my, if you, were you know, um, not walking worthy, you know, you don't need to do these things to get back in my good graces. You know, you're not um, saved because, uh, you, know, you don't go in peace because now you've made up for your wrongdoings. You're not going in peace because you've, you know, given this precious ointment. Go in peace because your faith has saved you. So I see this as a word of encouragement to someone who is struggling with their own failures. And it says, you know, I'm walking with Jesus. I'm following Jesus. But day to day, sometimes I'm not walking worthy. I'm not living that out as the way I am, as the way I should be. The reality I see before me every day is that I'm constantly still slipping back into these sinful patterns. And I, and I, I just see that Jesus is encouraging her, reminding her, your sins are forgiven. I know that you love much and the Bible, and I know the fact is that if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So I see this love pouring out of you. Go in peace. You're going to walk this out. And he's encouraging her in this way. So I want to take that encouragement and apply to us this morning that if, if you're struggling with your own failures, that yes, don't just say I'm okay with that, but in repentance and contrition like this woman had, there is peace that comes from Jesus and a renewal of forgiveness. The same grace that saved us is that same grace that is ongoing with our progressive sanctification. That is not a straight line to glory, but is oftentimes an up and a down and a two step forward and a one step back. And if that's the pattern you find yourself, I just want to encourage you. Remember what Jesus has done for you. You know, um, as we reflect on those things and... We remember how much we've been forgiven. The love of Christ constrains us. The love of Christ spurs us on. It's not the fear of judgment that forces us to obey. It's the love of Christ that, dis that draws us and inspires us to live the life that we've been called to. So as we look at this, this story, uh, I see a couple things. I see a man who is cool towards Jesus because he perceives he's not been forgiven much, maybe. And if that's you here today, I want to encourage you, reflect, get in the Word, realize how far from God we were in our, in our um, lost condition and state. You may not have been the worst sinner by man's eyes, but we're not judged by man's eyes. We're judged by God's eyes. So if you're here today and you feel a coolness towards the things of Christ, 
Remember what he's done. Talk about this. Re- reflect on these things and seek a greater understanding of how much you've been forgiven. I see someone who is, is passionate and full of love for what Jesus has done for them. And I hope that's all of us here today. But I also see this person who is very over, emotionally overcome, possibly by her you know, failures and uh, relapses in a sense. And if that's the case, I want to say there's hope for you. There's help for you. And it's the same Jesus that saved you is the same Jesus that will keep you. What the devil wants to do is when we fall and it's a sin or we um, uh, don't walk worthy in that sense, we wanna, he wants to put us in the penalty box. Anybody, any hockey fans? No hockey fans? Two hockey fans. All right. In hockey, you know, when you do something bad, um, okay, there's all sorts of different things. Like in, in basketball, when you, you know, do something bad, you get a foul, they get a free shot, you know, a foul, a free throw. You know, in soccer, you get a yellow card. You know, and if it's bad enough, then you get kicked out of the game. But in hockey, I always like this. You know, you do something bad, you get stuck in the penalty box. It's in, so you're sitting over here, and you're, you're, on the, you're right at the ice, and you're seeing the action, but your team's down a man now. Why? Because you're stuck in the penalty box. They can't replace you. You know, in soccer, if you get a red card, they put somebody else out on the field, and everything goes on. But in hockey, if you're bad enough, you get stuck in the penalty box, and you're over here, and you just got to wait your time. There's nothing you can do. Little different penalties have different times, and it counts down. And then once it's out, then you can go out. Once you've been in there and suffered long enough, then, okay, now you can go out. And I think that's how the devil wants us to believe about our own sin. That once we've sinned and failed God in some way, oh, he wants to keep us from the Word. He wants to keep us from community. He wants to keep us from church. He wants to keep us from going to him and confessing and being restored. He wants to keep us in this isolated penalty box. Oh, I was so bad. I was so bad. I've got to do good things. I've got to show Jesus I really do love him. And uh, maybe I just, you know, stay over here and isolate myself and penance and, you know, sit in sackcloth and ashes long enough. Then Jesus will realize that I really do love him and realize that I'm serious. And then I can get back out there. What's happening to your team the whole time you're over there? They're down a man. That's exactly right. Or a woman. They're, they're down a person. They're shorthanded. You know, while you're over here, you know, trying to atone for something that's already been atoned for, something you can't pay anyway, and you're out of the fight. That's not the Christian way. There's lots of other religions that do that, to say that's the way, but it's not. Because all of our righteous acts are as filthy rags before a holy God. So that's the way the devil, he wants us to get us out of the action. He wants to separate us from the church family, the family of God. He wants to separate us from uh, the, the Holy Spirit, from, the, from God himself. He wants us to isolate in that guilt. But that's not what we see Jesus doing. Jesus says, listen, when you've fallen, when you've forgiven, come to me. I will forgive you. I forgive you all. First John, again, you know, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. When the Pharisees asked him, Lord, how many times should, or when the disciples asked him, how many times should I forgive somebody? He says, 70 times, seven times in a day. He says, no, 70 times seven in a day. And I've said this before too, but I think it's good. 500 times a day. That's what he expects us. That's the forgiving attitude he expects us to have. Do you think he's any less forgiving? He's going to be more forgiving. You know? So we think, oh, but I messed up again. Well, he, he expects us to give 500 to 490 times in a single day. Have, have you 
sinned and repented and confessed and been restored 490 times today already? Of course not. Do you think Jesus is going to be less forgiving than he expects us to be? Of course not. He's always there for us. His mercies are new every morning, every moment. He is there for us. So don't get stuck in a penalty box. Okay? If you're overcome with your failures, you're discouraged by your failures, don't let those things isolate you. Let those things take you back to Jesus. Let those things take you back in prayer, confession. That's how you continue to grow as a Christian. We're going to fail. As long as we're in these bodies of flesh, we're going to continue to fail. We're in this world. We're not arrived. We're still undergoing sanctification. It should be a victorious process, but victorious because not because we never fail, but because when we fail, we fail forward. We fail forward to the feet of Jesus. Okay? And that's where that should be our pattern every single time. So I don't know if this message has spoken to you today the way it has to me this week. I pray that it has. Um, we're going to come into a time of response around the Lord's Supper. Brian, if you want to come on up. Um, and uh, I don't know where you find yourself in here, but I know where, where Jesus is. And um, he is encouraging you, saying, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. If you're a believer in Jesus, that's true for you today as well.